friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Continuing this uh, series on on revival, and uh, we've looked at two incredible ones so far, and and today uh, I'm pretty excited because this one. Uh, happened to have a big impact on me, a big p- impact on the church that we now get to worship in, but I'll tell you that here in a second. The verse that has kind of been maybe the bedrock to all that we're going to do, Second Chronicles 7.14, should have looked that up ahead of time, but I'm pretty sure that's it. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal their lands. Have you looked around lately? Our land could use some healing. And we just believe that he's up to something and that he can and, and, and just really believe that he will bring about revival in our time. Today's is about John Wesley or the Wesleyan revival or the, the, the British Great Awakening, however you want to look at it. We'll call it the Wesleyan revival because John Wesley is probably, uh, probably the most influential uh, man in my life whom I've never met. Major part of my tradition growing up, major part of kind of the bedrock, uh, a lot of the elders here grew up in a Wesleyan type tradition that we can trace back to him. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit about him, a little bit about the revival. Then we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to look at a big chunk of the Old uh, Testament, and then we're going to pray. Sound like a plan? All right. Well, John Wesley was the 10th child of 19. At that point... uh, Child mortality was pretty high, and nine of his brothers and sisters um, did did face death. Uh, so Susanna, his mother, who by the way was the 25th of 25, um, raised quite an incredible uh, group of children that again have have really influenced us a lot. There was a po- uh, 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 an event that took place early in John's life where uh, his sister woke up to a scream that uh, they were they were upstairs sleeping in the attic because when you have 19 kids where else would you sleep right and, and a beam had fallen on her and the house was on fire and John was sleeping in a bed uh, that had some curtains around it and so everybody rushed she ran down got her parents parents ran back upstairs got all the kids ushered them out and then you're doing the one two three four five six seven eight nine I don't know how many were alive at the time but they they get to a point when Suzanne's like one's missing Yet the house was just ablaze. And so they huddled up and they, they started to pray. I'd love to tell you they were praying prayers of hope, but they were praying prayers of please comfort us because we've, we've lost John. Well, well, John, inside that curtain, he wakes up and he thinks it's daylight because everything's so bright and pretty quick, he realizes that there, there's a fire. And he said there was just this peace. It's the first time he experienced and could remember um, experiencing God. And there was just this peace that came over him, led him to a window, climbed up on a piece of furniture, 
climbed out on the edge, and there's a beautiful oil painting that kind of demonstrates this. I know my slides are, that one's not too bad. Some of the slides and the words will be a little small, but can you read what the words underneath that says? Fire at Epworth. Fire at Epworth. If you walk out that door, turn to the left, you're going to see a plaque that says Epworth. This is where we worship. Epworth United Methodist. Saying we're Methodist, I'm just saying, how cool is it? The tradition, can you imagine? I just reflect back to how these altars might have been filled with people praying for people like us. And now we get to do the same thing and pray for other people at these very altars. When, when he, the dad finally went up and was able to rescue him down, Suzanne just kneeled down and she says, God's got a special purpose for you. Boy, was, boy, was she right. Just want to show a quick video. Lucas, thank you for helping us get this ready today. But if we can just play, do I just click next? You're awesome. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. As France melted down into the terror of a godless revolution, England roiled just on the edge of chaos, but was saved by the fires of revival that swept through the land on horseback by men like John Wesley and George Whitfield. In the struggles between the poor and new merchant class brought on by the blessing of capitalism, the British Empire flourished, but often at the human cost of abject poverty of the peasant. These unwashed masses were not welcomed by the Anglican Church or in polite society, so they withdrew to the many rows of street-lined pubs. Violent crime ruled in every village and in the growing cities. It was to this misery and hopelessness that the message of the gospel was brought by God's revivalists on horseback. These fires of revival literally changed a nation and the world, spreading the seeds of liberty and freedom. The result of this revival caused the abolishment of slavery in the British Empire, where it was said, the sun never sets. All right, so I don't know how to go back without making ice here. Don't be, don't be cheating. We're going to go there next, but if I go back, I'm sure it'll play again. So I don't know if you noticed, um, but these revivals are, are starting to develop some themes or some, some attributes that we see in each revival. And so now you can peek. Uh, these are the ones, again, this is just not saying I'm, I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination. These are just the ones that I've seen. Jonathan may share some different ones that, that he's seen. But what we know in every revival, at least that I've seen, is first you have darkness, then you have prayer, and lots of it. Then you have the preaching of Jesus and him being lifted up. Then you see repentance, Holy Spirit wonders, you can't deny those, and obedient humans. Now what's pretty cool is most of these humans were young. Okay? I know you'll probably hate this. I always hate when the speaker asks me to do something. I, I, in fact, I almost re reject it just on purpose and don't follow directions. But don't do that, okay? If you're under 30, would you stand up for just a second? You, it's literally just a second. Under 30. Okay? All right, that's pretty cool. All right, you sit down. Likely, 
likely, if this revival that I believe we're going to experience, it will likely be begin with that group. If you're older 30, stand up. Uh-huh. Just, just real quick, look at me for a second. Why in the heck are we going to let them have all the fun? <laughs> Sit down. All right. Do you know what else that I've noticed every revival has? Skeptics. Skeptics. Study them. Study the revivals, and you'll see skeptics, and we'll see them again today. Well, this revival took place between like 1739, 1791, and during that time, a quarter of the population uh, of England, which is about 1.25 million people, pledged their allegiance to Jesus Christ. And over that period of time, villages and towns, societies were transformed. So much so that the history books, Christian or not, will say that it changed the character of a nation. So as we heard in that short clip, darkness uh, was abounding, even in the midst of uh, a, a lot of riches. Uh, during that time, uh, Edward Miller wrote, so, so, so not only was the, the, the nation in a dark period, but so was the church. And one author that wrote a book about John Wesley called The Hero of the Second Revolution, or Reformation, his name was Edward Miller, he says this, when the church fails in her mission, the whole society becomes corrupt, right? A lot of times we sit in the church and we want to point fingers, but you know how the old adage goes, you point one there, there's three pointing back at you, right? When the church fails to do our mission, the society will become corrupt. And so before the revival, deism uh, had begun to push out uh, Christian observances, and drunkenness was all over the place. It was an epidemic, the amount of alcohol consumption that was coming in, and as always happens, uh, it led to poverty and abuses within the family, and what we saw is the poor just got poorer. That's the backdrop of when uh, the Wesleys, both Charles and John, uh, ended up at Oxford University, about 1728. Charles was there. I don't know if you've heard the name Charles, but he's as big a deal as, as his brother uh, in the kingdom movement. He wrote about 6,500 hymns, 6,500 hymns. And the, where they got the name Methodist from is they started calling Charles and this group that he started, which was called the Holy Club, they started calling them Methodist because of the way they methodically studied the Bible. But John's ultimately the one who kind of became the, the leader pretty quick in this Methodist movement, but it was born out of the power of the Holy Spirit. On New Year's Day, January 1st, 1739, he wrote, Mr. Hall, Kinchin, Ingram, Whitfield, Hutchins, and my brother Charles were present in Fetters Lane, which is in London, with about 60 of our brethren, many of which were Moravians, he says. Moravians. We've heard Jonathan talk an awful lot about that. Those people freaking changed the world, and truthfully are still. About 3 a.m., notice the time these people pray. About 3 a.m., of course, they're college students, so <laughs> that may have something to do with it. 3 a.m., as we were praying, the power of God came mightily on us, insomuch that we cried out an exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. 
Once we recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out in one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge you to be the Lord. George Whitfield, somebody that you would not necessarily, uh, you wouldn't call him a Pentecostal by any stretch. He said, it was a Pentecostal season indeed. Sometimes whole nights were spent in prayer. And then he said, often we have been filled as with a new wine. I don't know if you caught it, but we, us, us, we, we, us, we're praying, right? This, this praying for revival is, is not a one-man show. And it's not just for pastoral staff or elders. We all have got to engage in this, in this covenant prayer of God, please. We, this, we can't manufacture this on our own. We're just begging. And these holy clubs, they actually got outside of their comfort zone, outside of the small groups, and they, become this, they became open-air tent revivals. Sometimes there weren't even tents. Just old-fashioned revivals, but they weren't old-fashioned then because it was unheard of to have preaching outside the church at this point in time. But they would have thousands, tens of thousands, who would come and listen to God's word. Do you know who came first? The poor. The poor came first. John Wesley said to have traveled 250,000 miles on horseback to lift the name of Jesus. You understand that if you were to go around the equator 10 times, that's how far he rode on horseback. If you were to start here and go to the moon, you would actually get to the moon before you got to 250,000 miles that he rode on horseback until the age of 88. And that was at a time when 50 was very old. Thank God for me, those times have changed a little. Healings. Healings maybe isn't something that you associate much with the, quote, Methodist. But healings were widespread throughout these gatherings. A doctor suspecting fraud, remember what we said? Skeptics. A doctor who was suspecting fraud had, had much to do with these manifestations was present at one of the meetings in Bristol. One woman whom this doctor knew broke out into strong cries and tears. He stood close to her observing every symptom till huge drops of perspiration ran down her face and all of her bones shook. He was puzzled because he saw that this was neither fraud nor natural disorder. When both her body and soul were healed in a moment, the doctor acknowledged this is the finger of God. Wesley records in his journal stories of people being tormented and delivered from demons. This is one of his quotes. Some were torn with a kind of convulsive motion in every part of their bodies, and so violently so that often four or five persons could not hold one of them down. John Hayden, another skeptic, a good God-fearing churchman, heard these strange fits and he came to investigate. After the meeting, he tried to persuade his friends that this was all just a delusion. The day after the meeting, he was at home reading a sermon that happened to be called Salvation by Faith, a new idea back then. 
As he read the last page of the sermon, he changed color, fell from his chair, and began screaming and beating himself against the ground. Neighbors ran to see what was happening, and Mrs. Hayden tried to keep them outside, but Mr. Hayden said, no, let them all come. Let the world see the judgment of God. Wesley, has, Wesley was called for, and he, when he got to the house, he saw John Hayden being held by three men on the floor. Stretching out his hand, Hayden cried, this is he who I said was a deceiver of the people. I said, it was all a delusion, delusion, but this is no delusion. And then he screamed, oh, thou devil, thou cursed devil, thou legions of devils, thou can't stay. Christ will cast thee out. I know his work has begun. And then he began to beat himself once again on the floor until Wesley and his friends played, prayed for him and the demons were released and he was healed. Again, Mr. Hayden was just a good church-going, God-believing person and yet a skeptic. He, in fact... He, in fact, was one of the very people that needed to be delivered. And I think if we're just humble and hold our hands open and say, God, is it me? In total, John Wesley preached 42,400 sermons. 42,400 sermons. That's an average of 15 per week for 53 straight years. Cheaper, shorter, plainer books was his motto. He was the most widely read person in his time. And he ended a lot of his books this way, and it became an often repeated sentence. The, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell. The best of all, of all the things that I've told you, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell. One of my favorite stories as I was studying this week that I didn't know is there was a point when Wesley got on a, a boat, I think he and his brother and several Moravians, you'll see that theme keep coming up, and they were on a boat and it was actually, they showed the dimensions, it's actually much smaller than you would think to cross the Atlantic Ocean. And they didn't know whether it would take three weeks or three months, uh, but they boarded this boat to go to this new land called Georgia. Yeah, our Georgia, named after King George. And, and at that point, the Native Americans were residing there, and they went to preach the gospel, Jesus Christ, to the Native Americans. And while they were traveling, traveling a storm came up so badly that it actually broke the thing, holding the, the, the beam holding the mast, and it fell down. And John Wesley was nearly scared to death. What about the Moravians? The Moravians just sat there calm, at peace, singing hymns, and praying. And this one event marked John Wesley for good and for our good. See, how do people see the same thing but see them quite differently? It's my question for you today. How do people see the same thing but see them quite differently. Maybe you've seen this one. Seen this one before? How many people see an old lady? Raise your hands. First thing you see is an old lady. Hands down. Raise your hand if the first thing you see is a young lady. Hands down. How many can now see both? 
Down? How many can't see them both? Your neighbor might be able to help you. Yeah. So if you're looking for the young lady, you're, you're looking at what the old lady's nose and the young lady's chin is in the same place. Pretty fascinating, huh? I can't remember what it was. It was just a few years ago. I remember... Uh, you got it now, Rachel? <laughs> I, I actually remember walking into to Clay. It was two or three years ago in the office. I was taking the, the picture around. I don't know if it was an Instagram. It was this social media sensation about a dress. Have you seen the dress? All right. What color is this dress? Okay, so b b before you raise your hands, do you, actually, now, let's go. Blue, black dress. How many people see a blue and black dress? Raise them up high with pride. Look around. Everybody else might think they're crazy. Hands down. How many people see a white and gold dress? Y'all are going to miss the rapture if there's such a thing. <laughs> I don't know how that takes place, but this is how the other person views the same dress. So I ask you, how is it that people can look at the same thing and see two totally different things? That's where we're going to go for the rest of our time. I want you to take out your Bibles. There's one in the pew rack in front of you. If you want to look at your phone, you can. Sometimes that can be distracting, so the good old-fashioned paper might be good. While you're turning there, you're turning to Numbers uh, 13. That's early on. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. Leviticus Numbers. Front row. Just seeing if he was paying attention. One person paying attention so far. Uh, numbers 13. So where we pick this up, give you just a little bit of a backstory. As you know, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years, the nation was breaking their backs to make the economy of Egypt work. And God hears the cry of his people and he leads them out in a miraculous, a several miraculous signs that they all would have seen uh, because they all walked across the Red Sea on dry land. They turned and looked and saw it come over the top of the Egyptian army and they were set free. And they spent a little bit of time, but pretty soon they got to the place where they were to enter the promised land that God was promised promising to give them. And so we're going to pick this up where uh, Moses picks 12 spies to go into the land. Okay, so skip down to verse 25. Verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert, desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Push pause for a second. What was pretty cool is one bunch of grapes. So just one bunch of grapes. It's actually probably about as tall as I am. Not saying a whole lot. But it took two guys carrying a stick to carry just one bunch of grapes back. I mean, this is what they saw was incredible. Verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak, and 
the Amalekites live there in the Gev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea uh, and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devoured those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. Boy, don't I wish I could spend some time there. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, Anak and, uh, who had come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we looked the same to them. How is it that people can look at the same thing and see two totally different things? He had 10 that came back seeing that the land was great, but saying it's impossible for us to ever inhabit. Two came back believing that the land was great, so let's go. How many have heard the old adage, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see? Isn't that the case here? Isn't that usually the case with us? It's not what you look at that matters, it's, it's what you see. Ten looked at their situation and they saw a problem. Two looked at the same situation and they saw a promise. Ten saw giants, two saw God. So what we've got to learn from this story is it's true in our own lives that who you put your trust in is going to determine how you see things. Who you put your trust in will determine how you see things. If you put your trust in you, you're going to see the situation one way. If you put your trust in God, it will dramatically change your perception. That's why we can watch two people go through very difficult times and handle them very differently, right? Go through uh, the death of a loved one. And you watch one go through it and how it craters them. And then you watch another one and they just, they're broken, but they, they have a peace that transcends all kind of human understanding. A health diagnosis. A divorce. Loss of a job. Two people going through the exact same thing, but how they see things, totally different. Who do you trust? See, if we go back to the beginning of 13, it says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore, not evaluate, just to explore, not evaluate to whether they can inhabit it, just to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, for each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. This thing's already been decided. God says, I'm giving it to you. This is your land. By the way, this is a reminder because I've already told you this. Exodus 3, verse 7 says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them uh, up out of the land and into good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey, and then he lists all the inhabitants. Right? Right? 
All the spies did on their little 40-day adventure was confirm what God had already told them. That's it. No new information. God had already told them this. We, we, we can't overtake this land. I know. I told you that. That's why I'm going to give it to you. Everything you went and saw is just like I told you. Milk, honey, big grapes. Yeah. Everything's just like that. Yeah. Check. Well, then why won't you believe me on the next part? You believe me on all of this. Why won't you believe me that I'll give it to you? Caleb was different, though. Caleb drove a stake in the ground for he and his family. He said, I'm going to trust God's promises more than our problems. I'm going to trust what God said over what I see. Caleb wasn't ignoring the problems. I think it's important for us to know that. He's not burying his head in the sand. He's just choosing not to ignore God. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. See the difference? He, he didn't just believe in God. He's there. He's up there. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Numbers 14. Turn over a page if you need to. It just says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only led us to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Can you believe this? The only mention of God was to question him to question his character and to question his word. In verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Just push pause. We're going to go on. Can you look back in your life and see the times that the Lord has shown up because what we see in Scripture is that we forget so easy. We've all got spiritual amnesia. Verse 17. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. Verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, listen, I have forgiven them as you ask. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Verse 23, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. 
but, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. This is good. This is good. Because it shows you and I a warning sign that, that nobody who disobeyed the, the promise of God got to see the power of God. Nobody who, who disobeyed the promise of God got to see the power of God. And for an old man, that hurts. And we know that lack of obedience always cause us to miss out on what God wants to do in and through us. Lack of obedience will always cause us to miss out on what God wants to do in and through us. It doesn't mean that we're not saved, that we're not forgiven, that we're not going to heaven. God forgave them. But look what happened. They missed out on his blessing. They missed out on his plan. They missed out on the best thing he had for their life. And they missed out on being used by God. Listen to a song by Larry and Cindy's uh, daughter, Lindy Kofer. If you want a homework assignment, look up Lindy Kofer. She's on Spotify. She's on Apple Music. And find the song Obedience. And in that, she writes, I will love you with my yes and my obedience. I will love... If you thought about pouring out your love on God by doing so with just your yes, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what it looks like. I, how are we going to overcome these giants? Just take the step. Just take a step. That's how you overcome the giants. You take a step. And then what do you do next? You take the next logical step that he's showing you. He may not show you how you take out the giants. He may not show you how you beat depression. He may not show you how you're going to get the next job. But he can show you how to take the next step. Amen. Is it possible? Is it possible that you and I miss out on the things that he has for our life? because we're not trusting him to do the things that he said he would do. Is it possible that we're missing out due to lack of trust in God Almighty's word and his character? God's like, come on, nation. I, I want to show you my glory. I want to give you more than you ever dreamed or imagined. And you know what they said? We just want to stay here and die because it's comfortable here. Ten guys, ten guys, not only missed out on what God had for them, they influenced a million people to miss out on what God for, had for them. Do you realize that unbelief is contagious? If you believe that, who you spend your, the most time with, who you spend the most time with matters. Because their belief or unbelief is likely going to become your belief or unbelief. So I just ask yourself, are your friends 
Are your closest friends that you spend the most time with, are they part of the 10 or are they part of the two? I'm not saying abandon the 10, don't hear that. Who do you spend the most time with? Because belief and unbelief are both contagious. I want to hang with the two. I want to hang with the two. And you don't have to look very far around this building to find two. John John Wesley was one of the two. And he was contagious, wasn't he? He has this famous phrase, catch on fire and people will come for miles to see you burn. We got some people in here that are on fire. Crazy things happen when people catch on fire. Your beliefs are contagious, and if I could just take a second. Parents. That's Jennifer Rosenbaum's fault, so I know I cry a lot. Today's is her fault. Okay. (laughs) Parents. How do you pray for your kids? How do you pray with your kids? God, would you please protect my kids? Would you keep them safe? Would you keep them away from sex and drugs and rock and roll? Please. Or is it, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Set them ablaze so that they would transform Edmond North High School, Crossings Christian School, OCS, Edmond Santa Fe, Class in SAS. Set them ablaze that they would pursue holiness and righteousness, not for their sake, but for your name's sake. How do we pray? have coached kids who walked away from the faith not because their parents believe too little excuse me not because they believe for too much but because they believe for too little and they didn't experience the power of God in their house and so they just chucked it this doesn't work there's nothing to it parents are you passing on fear Are you passing on faith? Because faith, faith assumes that God's just telling the truth. Let's go back to Caleb, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I already did that. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. You see, a different confidence, a different spirit, a different faith is going to lead to a different experience. And not just for you, but for many that are around you. Most, listen, most people are going to grumble. Most people are going to play it safe. Most people are going to miss out on what God wants to do in and through them. And I don't want to be most. I don't want to be... I don't want to be in a few weeks, months, years, decades. I don't know how long this revival will take to come. But I don't want to be at the end, when it comes, to go, wow, look what God did. I want to be praying and sowing and believing. So when it happens, I'm going, of course he did this. We've been believing it, expecting it, praying and sowing and tilling the soil. That's what I want to be. my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then revival. If you need help remembering that, I've been trying to memorize that verse. I've, I've heard it a lot of times, but I always get the words mixed up. It was just like, Psst. Psst. pray, seek, turn. Psst. Pray, seek, turn. If we really want to see God move, folks, we're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I've been here 16 years. I grew up in a tradition that if you raised your hand while the song was going on, you better have a question. <laughs> so you think some of this isn't a little stretch for my comfort zone? You know, I just wonder. Nah, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want anybody's pity. I just wonder if this would have happened sooner if I would have been open sooner. You know? Thank God Jonathan was. Prayers can come up. We're going to spend some time praying. The band can come back up. But here's what I, I know. I have never read about, I've never witnessed a hero in the faith that didn't invest significant time in prayer and at all hours of the day and night. Never. I've never seen it, read about it. So, folks, in a world that we want shortcuts to everything, there ain't no shortcut here. It's going to take prayer. And so we're going to engage in that. Last question. I've asked you several. Will you, like Caleb, trust him and follow him wholeheartedly? Do you want the, do you have a preference? you want him to stand while we pray? Let's stand with a spirit of prayer. We sang at the beginning, uh, Spirit come, move on through, do what only you can do. Get ready. you to open up your hands to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, we love you. I love you. You are so good and so kind. I really love you. You are our firm foundation. God, I love who you are and who you've been and who you will always be. I love that you are Elroy, the God who sees us. You are with us. Jesus, you came to set every captive free. And we claim the truth of that in this place now. We receive that reality. <laughs> Jesus, your riches are immeasurable. And God, I'm, ugh, I'm like so sorry that we have traded it for a lie. 
we have traded your immeasurable riches for a lie of uh, we've been deceived we have followed a different path than the one that you have chosen for us that's full of grace we've chosen comfort I've chosen social media I've chosen to look at what the world has for me and claim that is truth we say Jesus you are the truth and you have come to demolish every lie by the power of your blood. So we claim that right now in our, in our building, in all of Oklahoma City. Jesus, I repent. Oh, we just repent on behalf of our church. And I want you to imagine yourself just in a secret place with Jesus. And look at Jesus in the face and say, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I've done the stuff that you see in secret uh, that doesn't honor you. Jesus, you are worthy. You're worthy of my very best. <laughs> uh, and Jesus, I love that you freely give forgiveness. And I just see like you asking us to hold out our hands and receive the gift that is ours. So we receive the forgiveness of Jesus right now. So God, I claim who you are right now in this place, that you are the everlasting God. You are the Prince of Peace. You are unchanging, you are merciful. And we rend our hearts like Greg was talking about. I turn back and I look at you and I run at you. Because your way is better. So Spirit, Holy Spirit, you said you would fill us. And so come and fill right now every believer in their heart. Come fill us with your fire, Jesus. So God, we take you at your word. Like I take you at your word. That your instruction is good. Um, I repent of all of the ways that we have received your instruction as mean or as trying to take our fun away. Um, I receive your instruction as good. Um, would you teach us the way of righteousness, Jesus? Would you teach us the way of peace and of love right now? Would you expand us to be able to handle meat? Like in, in Hebrews 5 where it talks about meat versus milk. I want meat. I want the meat of the Spirit. I want the meat of Jesus. I don't want to be able to just handle milk. <laughs> I want you to get everything out of the way that is hindering being able to receive the meat. <laughs> and so I just bind up in Jesus' name everything now that would hinder those from seeing the fullness of your love, Jesus. I bind up chaos. I bind up fear. I bind up the fear of man that has to go. And we just receive who you are. Spirit, come and fill Whew, every place that doesn't have you in it yet. <laughs> every little nook and cranny. I want the fullness of you to fill me so much that there is no room for anything else. 
doing. We say revival is right now. It's not coming, it's right now, today. And we actually receive that Jesus, we welcome you right now. <laughs> this isn't something we're looking forward to, it is. Thank you for the reality of heaven here in Skyline. We praise you, Jesus. family are very consistent. Maybe we're like the persistent widow, the one that Jesus talked about in Luke 18, and she just kept going before the ruler and kept going before him until she drove him crazy. And he was an evil ruler, but she went so much and so persistent that he finally said, get this lady out of my sight and give her what she's asking for. <laughs> and then Jesus said, there's something you guys ought to know, disciples, that God's not like that because he's pure and he's loving and he's good and he's a father that gives to his children what they desire. The second thing we know is that the truth and persistence, the lesson we learn, we keep coming. We're not going to stop, Lord. We're going to keep coming. We're going to keep bringing what's on our heart what's in our passion and we're going to lay it at your feet. We're going to keep coming until the good father does what he does for his children. Lord, lately I felt like Jacob who finally decided to just go one-on-one -on -one with you. And he just wrestled with you. And it cost him. It cost him pain. Because to end the wrestling match, you just reached down and dislocated his hip. And yet, Moses wrote in the story that that didn't stop him. He didn't give up. He held on, he held on, and he looked at you and said, I'm not letting go no matter if you dislocate my hip. I'm not letting go until you answer my request and you give me the call and the blessing that you've promised me. dislocate me where you need to but no I'm not letting go that I'm resolved Lord there's days I felt like Jeremiah lately you called Jeremiah to preach boldly into a culture that had totally abandoned you and then he did what you asked and he was bold and strong despite nobody listening. But I don't feel like that Jeremiah. I feel like the Jeremiah that those same people took and threw down into a dry well and we find him in a pit up to his waist in the mud weeping and crying and yet he never gave up. And I don't know Lord, I'm going to assume that there's others in this room today that it felt like they're in that pit crying out to you 
and saying, Lord, it doesn't matter that this is where I'm supposed to be right now and that I am down and out and I don't know what to do, but I am not giving up because like Jeremiah, you've given me a call. I also think about David and I recount Psalm 102 in my prayer today. And David said in Psalm 102, here's how I feel, Lord. I feel like my days are consumed like smoke that my bones are burning like they were thrown into a fireplace and that my heart is withering like dead grass. I feel like a bird alone stuck in the desert. I feel like I'm eating ashes and drinking tears. And Lord, I feel like you have cast me a million miles away. I thank you that in Psalm 102, right in the middle of that writing, that immediately your Holy Spirit spoke to David and you gave him the answer to his prayer just a verse later. And I thank you that he, he exposed his pain and his doubt and his fear and his sin. But then he wrote the answer. And the answer was the same truth that the widow in Luke and the Jacob in Genesis and the Jeremiah in the mud, they lived and served and they died believed. And that truth is this. The Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and he shall not despise the prayers of his people. I thank you also that King David wrote these words right after that. He said, this is written not for me, but for a generation to come and that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For God looked down from his height from heaven, the Lord viewed the earth and heard the groaning of the prisoner. And because of those groanings, he's released those pointing to death. Lord, you do see us. You do hear us. You will release us. You will bless us. Because we in this room today are who, who King David wrote about. We are the generation that will praise you. Paul wrote to the Romans, may the Spirit help our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for like we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Holy Spirit today, intercede for us. Whether it be words of power, promise, fire, hope, or whether it be groanings of despair or doubt and fear. Lord, hear our prayers. And especially the prayers that are so deep inside. We don't have the words to express them. Listen to our hearts, Lord. Hear our spirit sing that song of praise. Lord, we'll use the words we know, but when words are not enough, listen to our hearts. We'll be persistent like the widow. We'll hold on in a wrestling match like Jacob. We'll be faithful in the depths of a pit like Jeremiah. And we're going to quote your promise of power, restoration, healing, and hope in every prayer, just like King David did. You are our God. Amen.
to seek you with all of my heart means to strive after, to beg, to require, specifically in worship and prayer. You're not asking for quiet little prayers in our heads. You want an earnest cry from the heart. We are your search party. When we seek you, we will find you. You're already there. You always have been, you always are, and you always will be. Give us eyes to see you, Lord. Remove the scales from our eyes. So many distractions in this world compete for our attention. And I can just picture you with your hands on our faces and your kind, gentle, fiery eyes are searching ours, desperate to lock eyes with us. And there's a circus going on behind you. And your attention is undivided on us. You're right in front of us. And we're the apple of your eye. But we're looking all around at the chaos behind you like you're in our way. Refocus our attention on you. Make everything else fade away. Let us see your reassurance, steadfastness, peace, love, companionship. Let us see the twinkle in your eye that says, let's go have some real fun. Link arms with us and walk with us side by side as we enter into the chaos bringing order. As we walk into the darkness bringing light. Make us steadfast in a world that's spinning. With your shalom, make us anchors that keep ships from tossing in the storm. If we keep our eyes on you, we can walk on water. Let others see your light in us. And though they may not know it's you, they know it's something they want, something they need. Bring them into our lives. Bring them into our church and into your presence, into the truth that they are desperately seeking. Let us not forget we're your representatives. Let us not forget we wear your name on our backs. We are walking billboards for your kingdom. Are we making you proud? Make our hearts sensitive to the searching. Highlight them to us. Make us bold to give them an invitation. Give us new eyes to see you are everywhere because you are everywhere. Looking around this church, it is so clear that you are here. Your miracles aren't just stories in the Bible. They're happening right here in Skyline. You have set the prisoner free. Do it again. You have restored broken relationships. Do it again. You have brought life into the womb of the barren woman. Do it again. You've healed the sick in an instant. Do it again. You have brought revival into this building, and you are doing it again. We wait on you with joyful expectation. I feel like this church is pregnant. A new life is about to come forth. The anticipation is rising. And we stand in awe of you and praise you for what you are doing and for what you are getting ready to do.